Step Into the Realm of the Paranormal Until the Last Drop, a show that blends paranormal stories and events with a themed drink. We're in that time of year. Black cats, cauldrons, potions, and potentially spiked drinks? This theme is going to be something a little bit more of the supernatural. And when I say supernatural, I'm talking about not so much the paranormal. I'm talking about, like, the ideas of supernatural. So, better start saying those incantations and reading off those (laughs) spells, because we've got magic going on tonight. (laughs) That's ghost magic, none of that. (laughs) Stay thirsty for the unusual with Till the Last Drop. Magic itself has been defined as the practice of beliefs, rituals, and or actions which are said to control and manipulate either natural or supernatural beings and forces. Typically, magic is categorized as independent from both religion and science due to its various beliefs and practices. Also, individuals who engage in magical practices are referred to as either magicians or witches, Although connotations have varied from positive to negative at times throughout history, magic has quote-unquote continued to have an important religious and medicinal role in many cultures today. There's also information saying in modern occultism and neo-pagan religions, many self-described magicians and witches regularly practice ritual magic, defining magic as a technique for bringing about change in the physical world through the forces of one's will. This definition was popularized by Aleister Crowley, an influential Mm. British occultist, and since that time, other religions, such as Wicca or Laverian Satanism, Levian Satanism and magical systems like chaos magic have adopted it. Now, it's probably noticeable that I may not be going into the background of Aleister Crowley too much. That seems like <laughs> something that I could use for a, a different episode. Although magic might be in there, I think he was more building something along the lines of a religion rather than a, a magic technique or something themed with magic. I know that um, Aleister Crowley and... LeVay um, are linked with Satanism and I know that I did read the uh, the Satanic Bible at one point and in the back of it they do have uh, instructions on how to perform different rituals uh, I thought you were going to say like an about me section or something no <laughs> well, <laughs> hi I'm Alistair Crowley and this is my book they probably had that too I don't recall but I know that it was <laughs> I found it interesting they, they discussed how to properly um, build your uh, pedestals your shrines things like that um, your offering tables your podiums and then 100% birch and then they discuss <laughs> um, you know the different things that you would need to bring in order to perform these rituals for a a plate of cookies yes the devil likes devil's food cake as well hence the name i feel like he would like angel food cake for whatever reason oh i don't know yeah well i mean there there is there is some talk about that i mean like completely off subject but i think it's interesting anyway it's like when people think of the devil they're thinking like some Blazing red demon with horns and a pitchfork tail. Yeah, okay. Um, with horns and a tail and pitchfork and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm the devil. And, but <laughs> like, Sorry, I'm the devil. But like, texts have bring it up that like, 
the devil that we know of would have stemmed from Lucifer, which would have been like known as the, yeah, fallen angel. But he was like known as like one of the most beautiful angels Mm -hmm. as well. Right. So, and that's probably like what could have had him develop this God complex, if you will, and oppose in the, uh, so he was a narcissist. That's possible. But then again, like, I'm not going to go too much into this. (laughs) If the angels didn't have free will, then why would he have developed this complex? Unless he was made to be the resistant force and have, like, everybody okay, choose so there, between good and evil. I have heard a argument kind of along those lines where, yes, angels supposedly did not have free will. But also, if you, if you believe in all of that um, and you believe that God created all creatures, including the angels and humans and everything, and he created them to be what they are and he's all-knowing and all-powerful he knew what was yeah. going to happen he knew what was going to happen when he created lucifer he's fully aware <laughs> of the situation that he created and he did it for whatever his reasons were but it's not like you know here's this rebellious angel like yeah. that's how he was created to be yeah Anyway, this one's on magic, <laughs> not on religion. I'm going to make sure I stay far away from that topic yeah. unless it's just for like generalized info gathering. No um, speaking of info gathering, there are different types of magic, mm-hmm. um, some known as white, gray, and black. Mm-hmm. Uh, going into white magic, it's been traditionally understood as a use of magic for selfless and helpful purposes. While black magic was used for selfish, harmful, or evil purposes. Evil! evil. <laughs> uh, with respect to left-hand path and right-hand path, uh, black magic is malicious, left-hand counterpart of the benevolent white magic. Uh, there's no consensus as to what constitutes white, gray, or black magic. As Phil Hine says, like many other aspects of occultism, what is termed to be black magic depends very much on who is doing the defining. I feel like that's a very valid point because there may be something that I do on a regular basis that is just absolutely normal to me and I don't see any problem with it. But somebody else who has completely different values and beliefs and morals and was raised differently than I might think that that's an evil, horrible thing. Well, (laughs) so yeah, I mean, like, for instance, you could, I, I don't know, Let's say use your hand hand gestures. Mm-hmm. That's another part of it too. Um, different cultures and different like areas of the world. Like for instance, um, if you have your hand come up hither. and you yeah, and you <laughs> use like the come here direction for mm-hmm. that, it is more seen as what you would do to a, an animal to get them to come to you. Well, normally you'd have your hand down and like move in a different direction. And see, that looks like, weird to me. Like you're doing it. Yeah. And it looks weird. It, it, it may look weird, but I think it's, and also like maybe it's like different kinds of things. If one well, finger doing it might be for an animal the as compared to a whole hand. that we use here in America in the States is different in other countries. Yeah. So it's, it's just, you know, culture, cultural. Yeah. I mean, there's certain cultures and religions and beliefs that they don't eat certain animals. Like pork, I think is a big one. Kosher. Yeah. Um, that's not eaten by different groups. And so yeah. to somebody who very strongly believes that me eating a pork chop could be seen as like this pretty bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe not so much now, but I know definitely right. quite a while back, it would definitely be seen as 
quite the faux pas. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then again, it's it all goes back to the <laughs> the powers of the force. Uh-huh. You got the light side, the dark side, and then the, <laughs> the gray ground that we apparently have now. Um, the gray goo. Yeah, the gray goo. Uh, we could we could world. go into that later on. That would um, be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The night is dark. The spirits are restless. They demand to be poured until the last drop. Now, magic has been around for centuries. Um, mm-hmm. Possibly one of the first styles of beliefs before a like an actual religion or something. Like considering religion, right? And it may be more that it could be based more on naturalism and all that as well. Honestly, I think I think a lot of different um, offshoots of of magic um, are more about nature. And respecting, you know, elements and things like that. Yeah, I mean, like as a, a brief history, as far as like in Mesopotamia, uh, magic was invoked in many kinds of rituals and medicinal recipes, um, and to counteract evil omens, defensive or legitimate magic, uh, or in incant- incantations and ritual practices intended to alter specific realities. Uh, ancient Mesopotamians believed that magic was the only viable defense against demons, ghosts, and evil sorcerers. To defend themselves against those spirits they have wronged, they would have to leave offerings and hopes to appease them. However, that's kind of... and Actually, it feels like that trend made its way into, I guess, not recent history, but generalized like history within the last couple of centuries when they were bloodletting and getting all your ghosts out of your blood. Ah, I love it. You've got blood ghosts. Well, blood ghosts. Oh, yes. Take some cocaine. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, but then again, it's like the idea that these evil spirits are what's causing it. Like before people could see like microscopic organisms or no Mm -hmm. difference of bacteria. It's like it was an idea that, oh, somebody might have put a curse on you or somebody's like the curse of the pharaohs, for instance. It's like maybe it's not really a curse. Maybe it's maybe just it's that really like old, old air. virus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's they always. I mean, I used to look at you know watch a lot of stuff on on the tombs and and the pyramids and the pharaohs and everything. And I know that I've read that a lot of these different tombs, when they very first opened them, they try to say it's a curse because the people got sick. We yeah. don't know. What's buried in there with them? Exactly. You don't know what kind of spores may be in there. What kind of, you know, yeah, like you said, the air. Um, There's a dead body in there that's been in there for centuries. And you don't know. Again, like we don't know what they died of. They could have had some kind of disease. And (coughs) there's that disease that's going to kill you right there. Oh. It must be Choke. the Pharaoh's curse. It is. I shouldn't have <laughs> talked about it. No, he's coming to get me. Just the very act of it. <laughs> right? I just thought about it. Um, but no, like that's, we don't know what kind of viruses might have been laying dormant in there. Yeah. Um, they've found many different spores and viruses and stuff that were frozen in the Arctics, yeah. in, in the poles, that when they essentially like thaw them out 
they're still alive yeah, and viable. They can be, well, yeah, virus anatomy is a lot different than like a multi-celled organism in that sense where they can actually like essentially freeze and come back to life. And, right. They're, they're similar so. to like extremophiles, I think. Yeah. Um, and so water bear. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys are cool. Um, but you, you don't know. There's also, I hate to say it, but essentially like the, the, the placebo effect in yeah. a way where yeah. you're told that this is going to happen. Like you're told that there's a curse and whether you really believe it or not, mm-hmm. that seed has been planted <laughs> in your mind. So here, Oh, there's a curse. There's a curse. There's a curse. And then your buddy over here, he's got the flu. Yeah. But nobody knows yet because he hasn't shown symptoms. You open that door and then he vomits because the flu finally kicks in. And then it's like, oh, Lord. (laughs) And then you all get the flu because you were around him. But you don't realize and you link it to, well, he he got sick when we opened the door. (laughs) So there's lots of different things. And I think that's one of the ways that magic and witchcraft and things has been the ideas have been spread and also it's kind of been demonized throughout history where you plant an idea in somebody's mind i mean think about salem witch trials yeah these people had they were isolated they had very you know intense beliefs and one person planted the idea that this person is a witch Well, did they check to see if they floated <laughs> or if they sank? Ah, because if they float, they're made of wood. Or they're a duck. And Oh, yes. <laughs> and they're a witch. Yes. But if they sink, then they're not a witch. Yeah. They're dead from drowning, <laughs> but they're not a witch. But your conscience is clear. That's right. <laughs> oh, weird. Just, oh. Did she turn you into a newt? I got better. I got better. <laughs> um, but going into like magic nowadays, it seems as though a lot more has been, I guess it, it, it feels like it's been accepted a lot more. Like the ideas of magic and all that. Maybe it's because it has found its way into pop culture so like fervorously, especially mm-hmm. over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we've seen Harry Potter. We've seen like right. probably one of the more popular like trading card games, Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, I don't know if I could consider that like magic. I mean, the idea think, is that you're you're summoning spells and all that, but it's it doesn't feel like it's something that's... I think that's, it's more along the uh, lines of things like D&D. Right. And that's another part of it too, like RPGs and these other games that are really taking like the fantasy side of things. Um, they use magical elements because it's something that's so easy to incorporate into like the realm of fantasy. I think it's also, it's such a broad yeah. category. It, it, you can do anything. Yeah. I mean, really. It's like, oh no, I'm too big to fit in this hole. I guess <laughs> I'll just shrink myself down. I'll just, uh, what is it? I'll, I'll drink uh, I'll drink the drink me vial mm. and then when I need to get bigger I'll eat the mushroom cap and or no I think she liked candy I don't remember, I don't remember. I thought it was like a cookie or something I don't remember she she was eating and drinking throughout the I, I don't know <laughs> but <laughs> I think also you know honestly part of the reason that it's potentially more accepted is because there's more information readily available and people have better access to information because 
the expanse in technology. You know, but and it's not seen as something as serious as well because that information can disprove a lot of things as well. I mean, we've got like ability to know what somebody is doing as far as a scientific advancement across the globe within mm-hmm. a couple of minutes. Right. And yet that would have taken years if you even knew about it before like we had the internet. If you knew about it, you know, centuries ago, then you were a witch. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, whether that be like beneficial or detrimental, I mean, that's no way of knowing. I mean, like maybe you're the one who's inciting it or you're the one who's like causing it to happen. But then again, I, that goes back to the good, like the good and bad, the white and black magic. So Right. I think people are also very much more just open in general to yeah other ideas and and well they're open about their ideas they're open, open about their ideas i think ideas. a lot of people are more open to hearing other ideas too whether they yeah. accept them as as fact or not i think people are just people have learned to be more open and learn to be at least a little more accepting um that's one of the benefits of that internet (laughs) you kind of have no choice in some sense you will hear somebody's opinion we're not obviously as as a species we're not perfect we we still have great strides to make but (laughs) i think that you know we have come quite a ways in that regard and so i think people feel more free to express those things and also again the anonymity of the internet gives you that kind of cover so maybe you would feel pardon me more free to speak about the things that you believe or you know the things that you practice if you don't feel it's going to be linked back to you in your own personal life yeah and that's another part of it the separation now granted it has nothing to do with magic but it's easy to lose yourself online Mm -hmm. i mean there's plenty of times where people can say that they've essentially take on an entirely different persona because they're online. You can say what you have and you have that buffer. You can essentially get away with it because you know nobody's going to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, back to the whole magic side of things. <laughs> the dead will rise so they can hear more content from Till the Last Drop. Of course, magic is not just within the supernatural realm. There has been plenty of entertainment value behind it too. Mm-hmm. For instance, the illusionary magic that we've seen in either stage versions or street versions, kind of stuff that, let's say somebody pulls a rabbit out of a hat, that cliche that everyone thinks of when you think of magic, even though I don't think that's something that anybody likes to do anymore. (laughs) Rabbits are not exactly the best thing because you try to pull out one and you're probably going to grab a handful. (laughs) So, but that's just the nature of rabbits. Um, But a lot of observers within history uh performances that modern observers would recognize as conjuring have been practiced throughout history for example a trick with three cups and balls have been performed since 3 bc uh, give or take Um, and it's still performed today on stage and the street magic shows Uh, for many recorded centuries magicians were associated with the devil and the (laughs) occult During the 19th and 20th centuries, many stage magicians even capitalized on this notion in their advertisements. The same level of ingenuity that was used to produce famous ancient deceptions such as the Trojan horse would also have been used for entertainment, or at least cheating in money games. There were Don't all they always cheat in money games. Well, you have a higher <laughs> like if I could hide a card and not know where somebody's doing it, I mean obviously that's the incentive. 
I mean, you, oh, magically this guy has blackjack every single hand. And, <laughs> and, oh, what's going on? And then, like, somebody, like, touches his sleeve and, like, thousands of cards shoot out. It's like, uh-oh. It's called magic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then he throws down a smoke ball and disappears. So you just disappear in a cloud of cards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. They were also used by the practitioners of various religions and cults from ancient times onwards to frighten uneducated people into obedience to turn them into adherents. However, huh. the profession of the illusionist gained strength only in the 18th century and has enjoyed several popular vogues since. You know, again, slightly off topic, but I feel like um, <clears throat> a lot of the cult leaders that we're aware of are a type of uh, magician in a way. They are definitely good at creating illusions and yeah. uh, convincing people of things. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, a lot of, think of stage magic, for instance. I mean, granted, they, there's an audience that can only see a certain area and from certain angles, and you can play off of that in multiple different ways. Um, and yeah, some of the tricks have been revealed in some cases, kind of like the way that you could have somebody float off from a table and whatever. Um, but once it gets up to the personal level of like street magic and whatever, I've seen magicians off the street, they say, order a coffee and they get a coffee and they hold up the cup and then they, they like just turn it over and there's nothing there. So they just make the coffee disappear. And all the while there's like whoever <laughs> just put the coffee down for them is like looking on and like, like awe, just wondering like, where did, it, where did this guy put Shocking the coffee? Awe. Yeah. There was one that somebody like was eating a, a uh, tube of Pringles and like this guy comes up and he like floats a Pringle out of the can and like the other guy's like almost going to try to eat it is like what and then he just does it. that almost feels like it was staged to me I think so I genuinely believe that that stuff is staged <clears throat> oh of course I mean even the original illusionists and magicians they have tricks oh yeah that's the whole part of it is like they know how to do this thing that to you looks like mind-blowing and amazing and you're not supposed to find out that's why they keep all that stuff secret and i think that's cool and i and i understand that but clearly <laughs> they all have yeah. some kind of trick yeah well it's all sleight of hand it's all illusion that's the the whole point behind the entertainment magic mm -hmm. um like I'm not I remember back when Chris Angel was a big thing mm -hmm. and his whole like mind freak series um a lot of that stuff I'm not sure what it would have been like in person but some of them they had like he split this lady in half and like the lady was like crawling around and it was like basically <laughs> half a person I'm like well that's cool and all but what's to say that she wasn't just like she had this disability where she was like literally she lost her legs completely or she wasn't right. born with her legs. Like right. it's possible to find these people that can do this oh, and absolutely. incorporate them into your act mm -hmm. um, in the same sense where this is there's a lot of editing involved. Yeah. I mean, you could have a group of people who are all quote unquote in on it. And even if you're filming live, there's still that delay between like a live broadcast and when it's filmed. It's easy enough to just put a filter over, oh, you make a building disappear. Mm -hmm. You just put a filter over where that building is. You have a crowd of people who are already told to act at a certain right, time. Right. And there you go. That building's gone and nobody understands why. Just because they say that these are all people that I don't know. Yeah. We just picked them yeah. off the streets and da-da-da. 
Okay, because how am I going to verify that? That's true. Just like magicians, you know, when they would have stage performances, they would often plant somebody mm-hmm. in the crowd that they would then pick out to come up because that person was aware of what they needed to do to yep. make sure that the trick went off. And I know that oftentimes more elaborate tricks had danger aspects to them or danger elements to them. And so having a absolute stranger go up there who has no idea what could potentially happen yeah. or go wrong seems like a recipe for disaster. Yeah, it's like a, a like a catch the bullet trick. Right. Something like that. Um I remember that from like one of the older Penn and Teller shows. Mm. They like caught a bullet in their teeth. It was like, I understand that that's probably not gonna happen. <laughs> I mean, first of all, your teeth aren't strong enough to like bite a bullet hard enough to stop it in midair and let alone like you, you only get one chance to do it and you're not going to practice that. You only get one chance to do it right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, um, no, I guess you might have more than one chance to do it right if you pull it off the first time. I doubt that you would. But, I mean. It's, <laughs> Your mouth can't even close that fast. <laughs> no. Well, there was, um, what is that, the movie? Um, yep. I know exactly what you're talking about. The Prestige. Yep. Such a good movie. I mean, oh. you might be able to teleport yourself like halfway across the room, but in reality, you're just cloning yourself. Well, they did the bullet <laughs> trick, didn't they? Didn't the one guy get shot? Yes, he did. Christian Bale's Yes, character? and to ruin this entire movie, <laughs> um, he basically had to cut his identical brother's finger off to be able to continue to perform because he had his finger cut, like shut off. I hope you've all seen that movie. Well... Even if you haven't. It's an older movie. Just watch it anyway. You should see it because it is an amazing movie. Yep. And even if you know like one tiny aspect, there's so many things. Like we've watched it numerous times. Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman. uh, David David Bowie. Bowie As Nikola Tesla. As Nikola Tesla. That's one of my favorite things to ever happen ever. Nikola Tesla is one of my personal heroes. David (laughs) Bowie, uh, also one of my personal heroes who is amazing. So having him play... One of my personal heroes was just... And that's that's interesting, too, because in some sense that could have been... I always like the the joke that Thomas Edison was part of the... He did, like, science for, like, the generalized term, (laughs) but then, like, Nikola Tesla got all the science fiction style (laughs) uh, inventions, and that's one thing that was always fun. But then again, there's also uh, Harry Houdini. Yeah, You got to start thinking that like, well, he did more escape artist Mm -hmm. like practices. And unfortunately that led to his death, but he was also a very good escapist before that all happened. Yeah, he was. Go figure. There's a a lot of good Hungarian uh, Uh performers, (laughs) uh, including one right now. Uh So anyway. Yeah. But no. um, Well, even. okay, Tesla, some of the stuff you look at some of the stuff that. He invented in his lifetime, like he, the man was brilliant, but some of his inventions, like you got to wonder yeah, how, how much magical ab- he was. <laughs> oh yeah. How much absinthe he was drinking. He's the man had, there are quotes from him about, he's talking about cell phones, like oh, yeah. at some point, you know, within, by the end of the century or something, people are going to be able to communicate within seconds with people across the world using a tiny portable device that they keep in their breast pocket. Yeah. 
I, th- I think he also had like a generalized outline for wireless power as he well. He did. Um, and he tried to present it. It probably would have been the scariest thing to look up at the night sky and see this big, massive transformer shooting out bolts of electricity to uh, kind of ionize the air to get it to oh, go to the devices. Beautiful. But it would have been interesting to see. I don't know how safe it would, it would have been, been at that it point. It would have been but, like, you know, the Frankenstein castle, yeah. <laughs> but huge. Yeah. But he he also talked about the World Wide Web and just things that I'm sure they probably thought were witchcraft or sorcery because people couldn't fathom a lot of that during his time. Anyway, going back to Harry Houdini, this is a (laughs) a nice little bit of information. Uh, There's apparently a Houdini museum that's Uh dedicated to him in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Ah, the office. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. They talk about Houdini, I think, on the office. Huh. I must not remember. Um, oh, there's also another thing. This is one of the most common tricks that I'm sure everybody has seen. And you can even see it basically at almost any part, part of time in the day. It's known as Pepper's Ghost. Pepper's Ghost? Yeah. Basically, what you do is you have a subject that's lit very brightly. And then you have a glass pane. And then there's nothing behind that glass. But then the viewer looks at the reflection of that glass. And they see the ghost figure of the subject that's been lit like on the ga- on the glass and it reflects back to them but it's still transparent so they see through the glass and they see the area behind it but then they see this transparent figure on the glass it was used a lot like for stage and all that but huh. also the more anybody who's a disney fan would know that the haunted mansion takes heavy use of this um that's the whole reason why they have like the face in the ball and they have the uh um the dancing and all of the activities that are going on in the, uh, the great hall or whatever it was, there's actually just a big pane of glass and that's what they're doing. The downside with Pepper's ghost techniques is that you have to overlight your subject and you have to like utilize stage makeup in such a way that it's got high contrasts and high colors. Otherwise it's not going to come through all the way either. But that's also the reason for glare. Like say you have the light on in your car and, you put something on the dashboard and immediately you're going to see what it is. That's mm-hmm. the same example. That just made me think of that video where the people are driving down the dark country road. Yeah. And all of a sudden it looks like a hand like comes out of nowhere oh, somewhere yeah. on their windshield. It's like, oh, it's a ghost. And yeah, they try to say, oh, yeah. there's a ghost reaching out. But you can clearly see in the video that the person reaches their hand mm-hmm. towards the dash yep. and what you're seeing is the reflection of their hand and you can see it looks exactly the same yeah they should have cropped that video a little bit better yeah <laughs> and maybe they just i don't know maybe they were genuinely scared and they thought it was real but when we first saw it it was it was clear that it was a uh yeah trick that's of the, the yep. reflection that's the downside with Looking into this kind of stuff, you kind of pick it out a little bit quicker. <laughs> so, And I understand that it would have been up there for maybe somebody doing a joke on somebody or, or whatever, but it just, the execution was bad. <laughs> yeah. So. A little bit, a little bit. Until the last drop, we'd like to hear your stories, not have you become the story. So please drink responsibly. All right. So for the drink tonight, we're doing something that's very related to magic and Anything else that might be associated. What I'm getting to here is like it's known as the Green Fairy. Mm -hmm. 
So it's a very magical drink. Um, at one point in time, it was thought to cause hallucinations, but that has been since debunked. Um, it was also outlawed because of this as well. The drink for tonight is absinthe. Hey, I've been looking forward to this one. A uh, bit of history on absinthe. Uh, at the end of the 18th century, the drink was invented by one Pierre Ordinaire, a French doctor who distilled wormwood and other herbs in a alcoholic base as a remedy for his patients. At the end of the 19th century, absinthe was embraced by the literary bohemian crowd who gathered in European cafes and claimed the green fairy as their muse and inspiration. And at the end of the 20th century, it brought to a end of nearly 100 years of nonsensical prohibition in parts of Europe. As a result, a new fin dis... I can't say it. It's something in French, and I'm not 100% <laughs> sure on my French shit right, right now. Um, it began, anyway, a crowd began discovering the delights of the absence drink once again. So despite the French term that I'm not going to get into because <laughs> I'm not 100% on my French. So a lot of it basically happened at a lot of the end of the centuries. Mm -hmm. A lot of history was made with absinthe. Um, obviously, the same thing goes like it wasn't until the mid to late 90s that it became a little bit more accepted in the U.S. It was still illegal for quite some time. And Yeah, I remember it was illegal to purchase it, I think. Yeah, it but was, it wasn't illegal to have it. It was it was a weird. Yeah, it was it was set up pretty strange since it was you couldn't import it, I believe, but you could have it, but you couldn't purchase it. So it's like, how can you have it unless you steal it or somebody <laughs> sends it to you? Maybe, but that's the import so that <sighs> unless it's it only imports for distributors anyway. So our absence that we had was a Francois guy. The description says that it is more antecedent than average and is produced in a, the pure traditional way, according to an ancient house recipe. This absinthe will enchant both novices and confirmed absinthe drinkers. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously we're, ab we're uh, absinthe novices because we haven't really drank a lot of absinthe. Right. Uh, it's not as common in the U.S. as, say, uh, bourbon or anything of the sort. I've had a little bit, but I wouldn't say I'm a uh, absinthe expert or connoisseur. Yeah. Um, now, the description, of course, on the bottle is all in French because it's a France-made absinthe. This one, I believe, we had imported from a distributor in Germany, so we had a lot of import, I guess, <laughs> for it. So it took its time, but it's well worth it by looking at the bottle, and it seems like it has a good quality behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, a little more information coming from the the bottle itself. Uh, according to the recipe, more than a century old, its color is obtained entirely naturally from plants. And those plants usually include uh, wormwood, antiseed, and fennel. Mm -hmm. uh, so it has a very noticeable taste. <laughs> um, some say that it reminds them of the flavors of black licorice. Um, yeah, it it smells like black licorice. Yeah, and that that comes a lot from the anti, from the anise or antiseed, um, and the fennel that provides a lot of the licorice flavors, while the bitterness is actually coming from the wormwood. Now, in a traditional method for absinthe, normally you would pour, say, about an ounce into the bottom of a glass. Specific glasses made for absinthe that usually has like a little one to one and a half ounce reservoir on the bottom which will hold nothing but the absinthe, and then a spoon will be placed over the top with mm -hmm. a sugar cube on top of that, and then you have a, uh, a dripper, 
I guess, mm-hmm. of lack of better term. It's basically they have something very that very specific devices that you yeah. can actually get. That yeah. Little. And um, granted, they have like individual ones made for glasses, like say about 30 bucks each or something like that, from what I've seen, where you'll have a reservoir of water and it will drip and it basically cycles back and forth, kind of like one of those uh, pendulum birds or mm-hmm. whatever, um, which will drip half onto the cube and half into the glass. That way it kind of disperses it evenly. Um, however, you can get into like really obscure and mm-hmm. advanced absinthe fountains where there's a dispenser in the middle and it just drips over like about four glasses or so at the same time. Um, normally it is used in this method. There's a very traditional method to it. There is also another one that's been popularized from one of the movies that I'm not going to mention, but I know it had Johnny Depp in it where he lit it on fire. He lit the cube on fire after dipping it in the absinthe, which is not really seen as a good faux pas, I suppose. <laughs> um, but it's in this sense, we're, in the movie, though, well, it may look good, but that's kind of what happens when you get into the realm of cinema. It's yeah. supposed to look good. In our case, though, we're kind of doing a little bit of a deconstructed version of the traditional method. Instead of actually doing a sugar drip, we've pre-dissolved sugar within the proper ratio of water. And we're going to be adding that to that about one to three, one to four uh, ratio of sugar water to absinthe. Mm-hmm. That way we can kind of get a an easier method of doing this just because of the area that we have to work with here. Right. So I'll have you kind of give your opinion on it while I grab my glass and try some for myself as well. Okay. You know, the first thing, like, it's automatically you can smell the uh, the black licorice smell. Yeah, that that antecedent fennel, that's really, really, like, pungent in there. I will, I think my biggest piece of advice for anybody who wants to try absinthe is if you detest black licorice, <laughs> I would not recommend. Yeah. Um Honestly, I'm I'm not against black licorice in any way. Um, I'm, I kind of gravitate a little bit towards more things that have like a sweeter tone to them. So the bitterness of the wormwood is not exactly my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously I've seen things that do mixes with absinthe and all that. And then I've, I almost think that's a little weird. Mm-hmm. I'm almost more on the sense of like traditional absinthe, though, that I'm not going to be like one of those crazy people who are just like, oh, yeah, let's just get a shot of absinthe. It's like. You mean like a <laughs> serving of absinthe, right? Because, yeah, it's no. I've heard I've heard people that have done shots of absinthe, but I think it's <clears throat> the more American-made brands. I think like Lucid is a brand yeah, that's supposed to be a, an absinthe-type drink. Yeah, I think that was one of the uh, earlier American brands of absinthe too, mm-hmm. which would make sense considering that. Once it starts getting popular, whoever is going to jump on it is going to have their best, like, I don't know, years of revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, just because obviously getting imports and all that, it's going to take more time. There's a lot more involved to actually having something shipped over. Mm-hmm. So, Plus it's not the cheapest. Yeah. Well, then like just getting into the popularity of it, um, obviously it's more of a European style drink. Mm-hmm. Um, so... 
coming to the American taste is not exactly easy. I mean, we see that with plenty of other things, too. Right. I mean, you don't see, like, butter-flavored Kit Kats in the U.S. That's more in Japan. Or, um, for instance, a Korean-style pizza, from what I've heard, apparently it's a lot sweeter and a mm. lot of Korean people kind of gravitate away from the pizzas that are served because they are too sweet. Oh, really? Yeah, and in comparison, like, American-style pizzas, it feels like it's more filling and it's more, like... I guess, robust. Um, I think you could say that about a lot of American food. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Filling and robust. robust. Yeah. Here's your, uh, we're just going to inject the fat right into your artery. Or those places that give you a trash bag of French fries. Oh, geez. That's a bit much. Yeah. So. I think one of the things you're kind of talking about, um, a lot of people when they drink, they... You know, if you go to a bar or something, yeah, <clears throat> you're typically just kind of drinking, you know, your drinks. A lot of a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people, you know, they'll drink quite a few drinks. And I think absinthe is more of the kind of thing that you want to not just gulp it down. Yeah, it's more of a slower experience. Right. And that's a lot of things. You think of like, say, American style party culture, you're seeing people like shotgunning beers. It's mm-hmm. like you're just drinking it just to drink it. Keg stands. And yeah, like it's not exactly. Uh, I don't not, know. It's, you're not drinking it to enjoy right. what you're consuming. Right, and that's one of the bigger problems that I have personally with things. It's like I, yeah, alcohol get the job done, but if you're gonna drink like anything, just buy like something that's cheap and high in proof. That way you can. Not have to worry what it tastes like, but if you're actually going to like enjoy the alcohol and like essentially be respectful to who's creating it, you might as well like drink it properly. I mean, like a little bit of dilution with water, maybe ice. I mean, but other than that, like keep it straight before you try to mix it. Right. But that's just a personal opinion. Get a feel for the the liquor itself. Right. And that's what I would do like with normally any other spirit that we've gotten. I've done at least like a shot of it straight beforehand just yeah, because no, like, you've had me do that too. some <laughs> well, of them well i yeah. wasn't happy about <laughs> <laughs> well a lot of times it's like that's one of the better ways to get an idea of where flavors are going to come from and then like once you dilute it you can pick up more of the flavors out right. of it as well also i mean you know vodka is going to have that vodka taste i guess feel yeah. to it and yeah. i know that there can be other nuances that happen um Especially with uh, what was the little samplers that we got? Um, in which ones? The scotches or yeah, the, the moonshines? S- the scotches. Well, either yeah. one, I guess. Um, but I, I was more thinking the scotches because there were so many different subtle nuances with each one of those. And so it was interesting to try so many different variations of the same type of liquor. Yeah. And that was kind of cool. And so. Yeah. Aged in different casks for about the same amount of time i believe they i don't Most remember at this point right but, around the same yeah um, 10 to 12 years i think yeah and that and you can tell like there's the different flavors coming from where they're aged and how they're aged is gonna mm-hmm. pick it up it picks up you know all the different subtle flavors that are coming from the different yeah. types of wood and, and things like that and that's i think that it's good to know what the base is in your liquor before you add something to it, because some of those scotches, I, I know you wouldn't typically probably mix those with things, but 
uh, no, I would normally just have a straight shot of that and just, but that's the other part of it too. It's like, if it's like something that you're just going to sip on, then you're going to want the flavor of it. I mean, right. maybe a, a very minute dilution to it, but. But I'm just thinking like, if it's something like that, if for some reason you wanted to mix one of those, yeah. you would want to know what they tasted like to know what best to mix them with. Because I think some of those flavors would not mix well with certain things that you might want to put them with. No. And that's, I guess in theory, you can kind of come back to the magic sense of things. <laughs> like the idea of, oh, you wouldn't want to mix your spells. <laughs> no, it could blow up in your face. Yeah. But that's the same way with like, oh, well, think of like magic as chemistry. I mean, you do the same thing and you could have a bad reaction. I mean, you think about stereotypical, you know, a big cauldron and you're just putting different yeah. magical components or ingredients into a big cauldron. And I'm sure, you know, you put a little too much wormwort or, <laughs> or something in there and, and you're not going to have the the perfect spell or potion that you were trying to create. Yeah. Uh, in that case, like this is going back to the history of absinthe. Um, there's a little bit of a... A section here is uh, absinthe was first created in 1792 by Pierre Ordinaire, a French doctor living in Switzerland. His intention was to deliver the extract of the wormwood plant, which had long been known to have powerful healing effects, in a handy form. I don't know if pairing it with alcohol would have been the best option, but I don't early... know. But you you hear that a lot, you know, when when they were trying to kind of figure out medicine, uh, you know, years and years and years ago. They did that a lot. They took things that they knew had some kind of potential positive effect and they paired it with something that would help it to be digested easily. I mean, think about the original Coca-Cola. Oh, yeah. And I mean, honestly, they put cocaine in, in all kinds of things. I once saw an advert um, for cocaine in wine and the Pope was on this poster <laughs> advertising this this cocaine wine and i weirdly wanted a copy of that because mm. i thought it was just amazing but yeah. i mean housewives used to be able to go into their sears and robux catalog and order syringes of of morphine yeah so you know like it was a weird time yeah um well, interesting enough after it was created it only took about five years for it to be like commercially produced. Hmm. Um, basically, I believe the man's name was Major Dubade. He bought the recipe from Dr. Ordinaire and proceeded to manufacture the spirit with his son-in-law uh, in Switzerland. Hmm. And then in 1805, production grew to larger facilities and it was going from about 16 liters when it first started to about a production increase in over 400 liters a day. Wow. So it it moved up pretty quick, but that was pretty minuscule as compared to what it would become <laughs> like once it really hit into Europe. You know, back to I'm sure that, you know, wormwood and and those different herbal medicines while they may have had great medicinal properties, they may not have tasted very good either. And so to try and find a way that it was palatable yeah. to get the medicine into somebody's system was also probably another reason to mix it with alcohol. Oh, yeah. Well, wormwood is very bitter mm -hmm. on its own. Mm -hmm. So pairing it with something, well, I mean, I guess a 
fennel and aniseed like mixture would be very uh dilute diluted for right. that bitterness. And it's probably overwhelming. I mean, it is clearly it's overwhelming the bitterness of the yeah. wormwood itself. So this is till the last drop, and you're listening to this next section on our tab. So I'm looking up a little bit of detail on wormwood itself. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's very bitter, and it was a main component of absinthe, as we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as absinthe goes itself, it's been known as the artist's drink in the French and the uh, European area. Yeah, I remember always hearing um, in art classes and stuff growing up, there was always the rumor that absinthe was what in like particular caused or led to Van Gogh's kind of breaks with reality yeah and his eventual you know cutting off his ear and then i guess suicide i i don't he had some mental health issues and he struggled with anxiety and depression and things i don't know if that was just the absinthe he may have just ended up being an alcoholic um i think a lot of yeah well then again i mean like your artistic influence can come from a lot of different things and although it's not exactly an excuse I'm sure that was plenty of reasons. I mean, what else was there to do? Well, and it was also a lot. I mean, it's life is difficult now, but, you know, it was vastly different time. And they struggled with different things. And I think being an artist was also probably a little more looked down on than like. It depends. I mean, it depends on what kind of art you're doing. Right. Um. Obviously, like you go farther enough back, I mean, a composer would be considered like a pop star nowadays. Um, But then again, you'd also be creating a lot of pieces for the church to Mm -hmm. help promote like the church's idea. And that's the whole point behind it. Artists were doing the same thing. I mean, look at like most of the famous paintings (laughs) that we know of. It's all has some sort of like religious. Religious Yeah. Anyway, going to the Wormwood, since you're mentioning about artists and all that, Mm -hmm. uh, it was used for various digestion problems, such as loss of appetite, upset stomach, gallbladder disease, and intestinal spasms. What I thought was interesting is is that Wormwood is also used to treat fever, liver disease, uh, worm infections, uh, and then it says to increase sexual desire as a tonic and to stimulate sweating. Stimulate sweating? Yeah. (laughs) Um, and it could be because of the bitterness itself. I think that something that's very bitter would kind of cause you to just naturally sweat anyway, I think, but I'm I can't be 100%. I'm who goes to the doctor with the issue of not sweating enough. I don't know. I'm sure it happens. You can easily overheat, but... Well, yeah, but that would that would be unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, the wormwood oil itself from the plant, uh, some people have applied it directly to the skin for healing wounds and insect bites. Um it's used as a counter irritant to reduce pain. So, although I have never actually tried it myself, I'm sure it has some roots somewhere. Well, yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of plants. See, you think of aloe. Yeah. You can use that to help with burns and things like that. So, yeah. it would not surprise me. I do think it's funny that wormwood was used to treat fever and liver disease. So, they put it in an alcohol. <laughs> which it's, is known to cause liver disease. They're supposed to counteract each other. <laughs> exactly. As Drink as more as, absinthe. <laughs> that's right. If you're as long as you're drinking absinthe with wormwood, yep. then you're good. Yeah. 
the alcohol won't kill your liver because yeah. the absinthe is making it better. Yeah. That's I'll, like people who I've known people who consumed gross quantities of alcohol. Like on a, on the regular, like daily basis, nightly, they were very into their liquor and then woke up in the morning, took a multivitamin and milk thistle because it's supposed to help clean your liver. Well, <laughs> as much as I hate to say it, that if you want to clean your liver, just stop drinking so much. I know. Um, obviously, we're ones to say it since we're in a podcast that has alcohol every episode. But I would like to point out now that everything can be done in moderation. That's true. Everything. Like, if you enjoy a drink, then hey, you know what? Have a drink. Mm -hmm. Like, that's fine. Just make sure you're careful and you, you know. Yep. Don't let it take over. Yeah. I mean, you got to know yourself before you can go about things that could be potential hazards. Right. If you know you have an addictive personality, then don't really get involved in it. Right. But I'm not here to sit on a soapbox and like preach to people. Nope. So. Just whoever's out there listening, be safe. Whatever you, whatever makes you happy, do it. Just make sure you're safe. Yep. And take care of yourself. Unless you're shooting up meth. There's no benefit from that. <laughs> no well this one's been a little bit lighter than normal and it might just be because we've had some uncommon alcohol as well i mean we've had the absinthe and it's been and don't get me wrong it's it's pretty good i'm not the biggest fan of the licorice flavors but i can enjoy some absinthe from time to time i think one of the most important things is to make sure it's chilled yeah very cold yeah when it, when it warms up, it it's a little <laughs> less palatable. Yeah. I think, personally. Uh, well, then that suggested to serve it with as cold the water you can get to mm -hmm. go through and drip, and and it's very clear that that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, but then again, we also went on to just magic, some of the history of it, and obviously there is a vast amount of history and information on magic. I think magic it's, has been around for. You oh know, yeah. As long as as people. Yeah. There's there's no way that we can cover it all. And granted, that's probably the way that if something unexplainable happens. I mean, chances are, like even early man would have been like, yeah. <laughs> that's probably their word for magic. <laughs> I think, I think magic has been used just like you know different paranormal and supernatural stuff. A lot of times, people don't understand something and they can't exactly wrap their brain yeah. around it and so it's magic it's a curse it's you yeah. know somebody wishes ill on me and so that's why these bad things are happening or i did this this thing that i feel guilty for and because i'm carrying around these this sin and these negative feelings then negativity is is befalling me you know there's all sorts of different well, it has been medically proven that an excessive amount of anxiety and stress can lead to health problems and complications. Excessive amount of anxiety so and if, stress leads to further anxiety and yeah, stress. Yeah. Well, if, if you stress somebody out enough, if you make them believe that they are cursed and they will die, then chances are if they get stressed out about it, then they can die from it. So, yeah. I mean, technically, yeah, a curse can be real if that's the case. I think anything can be real. To anybody, if they believe it enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of proof of that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of scary sometimes. Yeah. Um, 
And then we went into a little bit of the entertainment side of magic, mm-hmm. um, RPG and all that, although we briefly touched upon it. Um, and even the uh, trading card game of possibly one of the more popular ones out there that have been mainstream. It's just Magic the Gathering. Yeah. Um, obviously, they always have their new releases, and I've been seeing a lot of emails about it. <laughs> <laughs> so they've got a new format coming up, as always. Um, and then there was like a little bit of the illusion side of Magic with mm-hmm. uh, some of the, sca- the escapists known as like Harry Houdini and some of the possible backgrounds for some of the magic like maybe even tesla had some of it mm-hmm. um but then tesla again is magic i'm sorry <laughs> yeah but then again like we we mentioned like a completely fictional movie as well so yeah i mean and when we mentioned a couple different movies and there's there's so much information out there yeah. i mean and there's so many different offshoots and different types of magic and different branches of magic i mean it's it's like well for a lot of people magic is a type of religion and so, you know, like Wicca and Pagan and, yeah. and and so, you know, it's one of those things if if you're interested, definitely give it a look. There's yeah. tons of information, tons of books and references and it never hurts to learn yeah. about something. And yeah, information is despite what somebody might say, information is never a bad thing. <laughs> no, it's not. And so. I think learning new things is always good and opening your mind and expanding your horizons. Yeah. Well, that's probably going to wrap it up for this episode. Um, as always, hopefully we have inspired you to go out <laughs> and either look into magic or just look into something else. I mean, for instance, just, just find something that you may have wanted to put the time aside and kind of look into it. And maybe it's, maybe it's a different kind of crafting project. Maybe it's, uh, uh, maybe you're trying to bake something new or you're trying a, a new like culinary experience or even you're maybe going out and even learning a different language, whether it be like something as normal as like Spanish or French or maybe it's something a little bit different such as like maybe Klingon or something like that. It doesn't matter. Just go out and get some information. Uh, now is probably one of the better times to be more skeptical and uh filter through information more and just kind of have an idea of what you want to look for and what needs to be looked for. Obviously don't take everything at face value. No, definitely look for, you know, proper reliable sources. Yeah, take multiple sources. Mm-hmm. I can't stress that enough. It's like, don't just listen to what the guy said. <laughs> um, always like kind of scrutinize. Mm-hmm. I think we need a little bit more of that just in general. Yeah. So, but I think also given the general uh, state of the world. Yeah. You know, a lot of people have a little bit more time yeah. on their hands. And so now's a perfect time to yeah. delve into new things that you may be interested in. Like you said, crafts, baking. I've been baking a lot. <laughs> I, I will warn you, crafts can get addicting. So, you know, yep. be careful. Yeah. <laughs> Got a lot of craft stuff, too. Yep. But it's it's always a good time yep. to, to learn more. All right. With that, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you for listening. Obviously, you can listen to us on TillTheLastDrop.com. We've also got it on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, multiple other mm-hmm. podcast locations. I think Google finally found us. So Yay. if you look for like Google Podcasts, you should see us. So with that, stay Thank thirsty for more. Thank and- you for staying with us. Till <laughs> the last drop. Thank you for listening till the last drop. For more paranormal experiences served up with a themed drink, check us out wherever you listen to podcasts.